All right, everybody, let's make our way back to our seats. Good to see everyone. How's everybody doing? Everybody good? Feeling good? All right. Well, listen, officially welcome New Life Church this morning. So great to have you guys here uh, to be in the house of God in His presence. And um, so appreciate our worship team and the, the flavorful colors of, of our styles and our mix every week. And uh, especially today, it's, it, we were reminded and being reinforced with the fact that God is on the throne. That's just not something nice and cute we should say at church, but it's the fact of reality of our faith. It's the bedrock of our faith that God always has and always will be forever on the throne. And no matter what happens, that he is in fact in charge and he's got our life and he has a plan and he has a purpose. And so we're going to dig into that a little bit deeper today. Let me invite you to open up your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's where we were last week. We're going to pick up with part 2 of this, of this sermon that I preached last week called Finding Contentment in the Word of God. Finding Contentment in the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. And you can also follow along on our screen here behind me. It's Paul writing to his protege, Timothy, a young pastor, and he says this. He says, all scripture is inspired by God, and it is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it, the scriptures, to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So our good work that God has planned for us and is directly linked to the ability of his word working in our life. That we have to have his word at work in our life if we're going to do and accomplish the will of the Father. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the atmosphere of your presence. Thank you, Lord, for being here with us. Thank you for calling us in and gathering us in and bringing us together this morning. And I pray now as we take a few minutes to open your word, may your word open us and may it get inside. May it go to the places of our hearts and our thoughts to where we need adjustments to where we need reminders, where we need hope, where we need encouragement, where we might need forgiveness, where we might just need an inspirational movement that only you can do. So we give you our time and our attention right now, and we pray, oh God, that it will go forth in our life for this week, that we can live for you, devoted followers. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. The Bible has over 31,000 verses 31,000 scriptures, it's like a big pillow that we can lay our life in and we can find contentment. Last week we looked at a few things out of this particular text here in 2 Timothy 3 and realizing that if we're going to find contentment in God's word, understanding what it's for, what it does, is we must recognize a few things about it. First and foremost, we, we laid out three things about that last week. We recognize that God's word is eternal. He tells, Paul tells Timothy, God, all scripture is inspired by God. God is eternal, his word is eternal. Secondly, we recognize that God's word is all authority. 
It started from the very beginning in Genesis 1. God spoke and life and creation popped and moved and everything found its place. And every creature found its purpose, including humanity. And God blessed and, and told us to multiply and to produce and to fill the earth, subdue it, and walk in his goodness and his power and his love and his might, and etc., all the way down. So his word is eternal. His word is all authority. He said it. It's true. There's, no, there's, no false, there's nothing false in it. There's no error in it. There's no fault in it. It is true. All the dots connect all the way back from Genesis to Revelation. You see the foreshadow of Christ in the Old Testament. You see the revelation of Christ in the New Testament. And I think one of our uh, preachers here recently said, if we want to understand Christ in the New, we need to also find him in the Old. That the Old is not obsolete. It's an Old Covenant, but the, and the New Covenant is more better for, and better for us. But the Old Testament of what it has, it produces the life and the revelation and the foreshadowing of who Jesus Christ can be in our life in the New Testament. And therefore having a greater appreciation for His grace. All right, that's side note. It had nothing to do with what I'm going to say today. It came out. Then third... We must recognize that God's word is useful. I'm so glad his word is useful. It's not just some historical context, some book sitting on a shelf, something we can buy at Lifeway or at a yard sale or what have you, but his word is useful in our life. His word works in our life. As Paul describes to Timothy, he said, look, it teaches you. It corrects you. It rebukes you. It also encourages you. He goes on to say in chapter 4, and it builds you up, and it shows you who you are and where you're from and what you're called to do and how to live this hard night hard knocks life for us, right? Any Annie fans? Pick that up. I'm surprised at what some little things I know. It's not a lot, but I know a little. And so we discover that in his, uh, his word is useful, that we find out in the armor of God that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6, describes the armor of God, and he tells us to wear... He tells us to wear the belt of truth, which is the word. He also tells us to use the sword of the Spirit, which is the word. So we all called to wear the word, and we're all called to use the word. And we just got to know how to do that and, and what it's all about. And we talked a little bit about that last week and what that meant. And today I want to go in a little further and talk about um, a, a part of the word that is described as the prophetic part of God's word. There's a thing called doldrums. If you're familiar with uh, aquatics and uh, nautical things and uh, fisher, fishing things, that word might sound familiar to some of you, doldrums. It's a, it's a thing where, uh, to, the, to the ancient sailors, the doldrums was a weather condition to where there was no movement of wind and water. Uh, and, and, the, and the big ships would just basically stay complacent and stay put, and there was, there was nothing happening to them. They couldn't move because there was no wind, there was no movement. And it, and it says that in, in ancient times that those sailors, when the, in, when the, when the ships would encounter a, a weather pattern called the doldrums, that the sailors would become bored and complacent and often depressed because they had no activity. There was nothing for them to do because the ship was not moving. There's also, I believe, a thing called the spiritual doldrums. It doesn't say it like that in the Bible, but there's the conditions that describe it. Spiritual doldrums are kind of like that as well, where we can get complacent, where we can kind of just kind of be there and kind of exist to where sometimes maybe our, we might feel like our prayers don't get past the ceiling. Anybody ever feel 
Sometimes you're like, can my prayers ever penetrate this rooftop that I'm standing in? And it's like, can they get to heaven? And sometimes praying feels like, because sometimes we feel like we are in a place where there's no movement. There's no forward progress. Just something, just some kind of blowing, some kind of movement, some kind of something happening, God, would really help me right now. And, and can find ourselves in a place called the spiritual doldrums. And when we, when we get to those, when we find ourselves in seasons like that, we have to remind ourselves that God never moves away. He's not gone. And we have to remind ourselves of what he has said in his word. And I want to read you a prophetic word that the Lord, that I believe the Lord gave me this past week. Uh, not only for me, but I believe also for our church and for, for all of you. If you will accept it and, and receive it. I'm just going to read it to you uh, as it was given to me. And um, we'll go on from there. It's the prophetic word that he gave me this last week. It says this. I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. The wind is about to blow. Until then, stay alert and stay ready. Keep positioning yourself to catch the wave. Don't grow weary of doing well. The real work is beneath the surface where you can't see anything taking place. This is the part where it's hard to just be patient. If you'll hang on and keep doing what you know to do, soon the harvest shoots up through the ground. The rain falls and the wind blows and your life takes off. Until then, keep reading the word, praying, fellowshipping with the saints, giving, exhorting one another, serving, worshiping the Lord privately and publicly with other believers. And even though the cloud looks small, it's growing and God is moving. He's working things out beneath the surface and soon you will see the manifestation of that work above the surface he who began a good work in you will complete it he always finishes what he starts stay on the potter's wheel and let his hands perfect those things that concern you he's not finished with you yet what once looked like devastation God is restoring it what once looked like demise God is raising up a new one what once looked like disappointment, God is healing a broken heart. Be encouraged today and know that God has been fashioning you for a purpose, and that purpose is greater than what you think. God is greater than what you think. In your eyes, you look like a grasshopper in a giant's face. But really, you are the giant looking at the grasshopper. David was smaller in stature, but, my spirit, but by my spirit, David was a giant. David could see that he was much bigger than the giant because he knew I, the Lord, was greater than the giant and the entire Philistine army. I am with you and for you, and I'm turning things around in your life. Keep positioning yourself in the proper place to keep yourself ready for my move. I'm ready and I'm willing and I'm coming your way, says the Lord. Anybody receive that for your life today? You reach out and take that, accept that by faith. I believe those are things that the Holy Spirit spoke to me and uttered into my heart this past week. 
because we can get in a place where, like I described earlier, a, a doldrum position where there's no movement and where there's nothing happening, where we feel that way. And sometimes when we get to those places and we get in, 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 a, in a season like that, we can begin to feel certain things that aren't reality. And we can start to perceive certain things that aren't true. And if we're not careful, we'll begin to entertain thoughts, entertain ideas, and entertain whispers in our heart that really are not from the Lord. They're from our flesh, or they're from the enemy. They're from things that we've maybe allowed ourselves to be open to and, and, and vulnerable to. But we have to guard ourselves. The Bible tells us to guard our hearts, to guard our thoughts, to watch out, to be vigilant. To be vigilant. And he gave me this word, uh, one, it's, I think it's just right on, but also I want to look at something in, in this word, um, several things. I want to look at the context of Scripture where, these, where this prophetic word uh, comes from. We're going to look at them. 1 Kings uh, chapter 18. This was Elijah. Elijah, the prophet Elijah, had just finished snuffing out the uh, evil prophets. I mean, he just did something nobody else has ever done. And, and he finds himself in, in a place where he's about to be confronted with uh, his identity and, and really his purpose again. I mean, he just did something magnificent. But at the same time, he has to actually talk to the people who are in charge, King Ahab and, Je and Queen Jezebel. And, and those two jokers are bad news. Uh, and they were king and queen over Israel. They were bad they were evil in the sight of the Lord. But they were the ones in charge. They represented authority in that day and time in that territory. And Elijah gets this thing, and this is what he, he begins to say to Ahab. He says, go get something to eat and drink because I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel where all this action just took place. And he bowed low to the ground and he prayed with his face between his knees. And then he said to his servant, go and look out toward the sea. The servant went and looked and then returned to Elijah and he said, I didn't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look. How many times? Seven. He's praying, head between his knees. I'm kind of just thinking out loud. I can't bear to go look myself. I can barely muster up the prayer, but I'm praying. i got to send somebody else. Go check it out. Would you just go look for me? Would you just go look and see if there's something happening out there? No, nothing happening. All right, pray again. Go, go again. Nope, nothing happening. Seven times he did that. Go and look. And then finally, the seventh time his servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. And Elijah shouted, hurry to Ahab and tell him, climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. And soon the sky was black with clouds. A heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm and Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. Seven times Elijah prayed for the rain. First time, nothing. Second time, nothing. Third time, nothing. Just think about it. How many times do we pray until we see it? Or how many times do we pray before we stop? 
And Elijah said, would you go look again? And finally, it was on the seventh time the, the servant went and looked, and he said, I see a cloud. It's really small, though. I don't know if there's a whole lot to it or not, but there's something out there. That's all Elijah needed. The cloud, the size of a man's hand. Elijah facing his enemy, Elijah praying. And this is basically one of the things that I think it teaches us is, is my prayers are powerful because I pray to the Almighty God. I don't pray to myself. I pray to the Almighty God. May we continue to position ourselves before God who will open our eyes to see that the cloud is growing bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. All you need to do is keep praying. There are things that you're praying for. There are circumstances you're praying for. And I just want to encourage you in the Lord, keep pushing until something happens. Keep on praying. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking until that door is opened, until that answer comes. All right? Look out your window and begin to see there is a cloud the size of a man's hand. And God is not distant. God is drawing near. He's faithful. He says, you draw near to me, I draw near to you. We're talking about finding contentment in the word of God. Let's look at a second point of this in Galatians chapter 6 verse 9. Paul writes and he says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. That's probably one of the scriptures that's repeated and written and maybe underlined and highlighted or what have you quite a bit of times for a reason. Don't get tired of doing what is good because doing what is good in the Lord's eyes leads to breakthrough. What happens often and too often is giving up and missing the blessing. So hang in there and keep sowing your spiritual seed and that will equal a harvest, that will equal a breakthrough, that will equal salvation, that will equal deliverance, that will equal hope rising up in your heart, that will equal your faith in being bigger, that will equal what God has in store to bring into your life because he knows what your heart needs, he knows what your soul needs, he knows what your household needs, he knows exactly what you need and many times we think we know what we need but God knows better as to what we really need but our responsibility is not to think what we need our bill our responsibility is to keep doing the good that God says to keep doing and if we'll keep doing the good and not growing weary in the well-doing it will bring forth and equal a blessing and the harvest and the breakthrough and whatever else it might entail that God sees fit for our lives but I believe endurance is always and has always been one of the things that has always been tested in our spiritual faith. Is the ability to endure when times are not easy. Right? That is, that is the mark of a person. It's really the mark of the spirit in God in, a, in the person's life. Is to not quit and not give up. Let's look at the next part, Philippians 1, verse 6. We're exploring this prophetic word, Philippians 1, 6. And again, he says this, I'm certain, it's pretty strong words, I'm certain, not I'm thinking it might happen. I'm thinking, I don't know, could be, maybe. So I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, where's the work happening? In you. Where's the work happening? 
Yeah. He says, I'm certain that God who began the work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. There's a work that God has started in each and every one of our lives. And that work will not stop being done until Jesus Christ returns. And, okay? And comes back for us. God started a work in me. God will continue a work in me until it is finished. And here's the thing. You have to believe this about God. God works. God worked six days. And on the seventh day, what happened? He rested. But he did not rest until he was fully assured that his work was finished. There will come a day where we will rest completely and wholly in him. But until then, God is still working in our life. God started a work, God will finish a work, and you have to believe this about God, that the work God started in you, the work God started in your spouse, the work God started in your children, the work God started in things that you're a part of, you know that his hand is there and he is at work and he will not stop working until it is accomplished. There is a work going on inside of you and you have to believe this and God doesn't give up on us. We may give up on us, we give up on each other, we give up in situations, we give up in different ways, but God never does give up. And we were just admonished to not give up. Why? Because God himself doesn't give up. It's followed up here in Philippians 1. He who began a good work in you. you got to know this about you. It's a good work in you. Some of you here today don't feel like you're a good work in God's eyes. You're not, you feel like you're not a good work on, in anybody's eyes because you've had trauma and you've had dilemma and you've had disappointment and you've had all these sorts of things happen in you and to you and around you and some of you feel like you're worthless some of you feel like you're not treasure some of you feel like you're not valued some of you feel like you're not significant because of the way things have turned out in your life and here's what God wants to remind you is I have started a good work in you because my son Jesus is in you and he is good and he is perfect and he is all good things and by him all good things come about and through him all good things come through and here's what I want to remind you is that I am at work in your life God says I am at work in you and right now there by by flesh there are some things <clears throat> that we feel are not good that we feel are not right we feel maybe un, uh, there's some unfairness there's some injustice there's a lot of other words that you can put in there that might not be good to say in church or whatever but God's good work is good and he never gives up. And you got to believe that about God today. You got to believe that in your life today. That situations look bad. Situations look dim sometimes. And maybe some in your own life right now. But you've got to remember who is in control. Who is in charge. And that is God. And he never gives up. In fact, he keeps working on us. Even when you fall, he says, get back up and come to me and look to me and I'll help you out. And I'll help continuing. I will be there to continue to help you out. Keep believing that God is at work in your life. Let's look at another one here out of this prophetic word. Jeremiah 18. The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. Jeremiah had it, had it bad in, in some cases. Because he was called the weeping prophet. And that was his entire existence as a prophet was he, he wept. He was mournful. 
over the condition of Israel and God's people. And he was in a time in life where not everything was, was, um, a, was just full of goodness. There was a lot of difficulty and dark days in Jeremiah's time. But Jeremiah stayed true to his calling and his purpose. And he said this, another message came to him, and he said, go down to the potter's shop, and I will speak to you there. So I did as he told me, and I found the potter working at his will. But the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped. He crushed it, the potter did, into a lump of clay again, and he started over. And the Lord gave me this message, O Israel, can I not do to you as this potter has done to this clay? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. God is the potter, and we are the clay. Sometimes we want to be the potter, and we want other people to be the clay. We want to make them into something. We want to make our situations into something, right? And we want to fashion it, and we want to form it, and we want to sculpture it, and then we want to pound it or do whatever it is else we want to do to it because we don't like it. We don't like certain things and situations. But God is the potter. We are the clay, and we go through seasons, when we don't turn out as God hoped. Think about your life. There are some seasons we don't, just tur- we don't turn out very good through certain circumstances. Does that mean God just says, well, boot that one to the curb? No, that's not God. It says God takes that clay, crushes it, starts over and refashions it and reforms it. Why? Because here's what is happening in God as the potter. is He has this vision of this image that he is wanting to create out of us. And that is a perfect thing. Doesn't mean we won't have our faults or we won't have our blemishes, but the potter keeps working, keeps sculpting, and keeps doing what it is he does because he has this vision of this image that he's trying to bring forth out of your life. And certain things that we go through in seasons and setbacks and situations, here's the thing, those things can either snuff the life out of us or we can allow God to bring out the good. And I preached the message on that at the beginning of July. God still works for my good. And at times, that, 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 there's a lot of things that happen that I don't understand. I don't know how. I don't know why. But if we can just make ourselves, force ourselves to stay on the potter's will in the potter's hands. He knows how to take that hurt take it and remold and restore and refurbish a good thing out of that. Maybe it's our greatest regret. He knows how to take that regret, take that shame and touch it and mash it and reform it and restore it and refurbish it to the good that it was intended for. How can anything good ever come out of our life? Only when we stay in God's hands, who is the potter, and we remember that we are the clay and that he's the one at work forming and fashioning. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes we don't get what God sees. We don't understand what he's envisioning. It's our job to stay on the potter's wheel 
and let the potter's hands work it out. Amen? And if we'll do that, he'll bring forth what he wants. Let's look at another one. Just a couple more. Numbers chapter 13. Now here is a story we all familiar with, mostly. Moses was sending the 12 spies of Israel into the land of promise, to the land of Canaan. They were 12 leaders to go in and spy it out. Okay, they were going in to check it out, survey the land, what's out there, what does it hold for us? And here's what they came back and said. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses and Aaron and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran, and they reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit that they had taken from the land. A few verses earlier, the fruit they were talking about was they had found grapes so huge that they had to carry the cluster of grapes on a pole between two people. So it's, it gives a whole new meaning to, to, to the size of a grape. It's not like at Kroger or the farmer's market. You get a bag and put, it in your, get them and put them in your bag and take them home in one hand. Uh, these guys literally had to carry them on their shoulders between two people, uh, one cluster of grapes. And it said they showed them all that. And it said this was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and indeed it was bountiful land flowing with milk and honey. And here's the kind of fruit it produces, and they showed them. But the people... The people living there are powerful. Their towns are large and they're fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. He tried to get their attention. He said, hey, let's go at once to take the land. We can certainly conquer it. We even saw the giants there and their descendants and it says next to them we felt like grasshoppers. And I'm sure that's what they thought of us, too. So these 12 leaders of Israel go in to spy it out. They check it out. It's full of life, full of hope, full of a whole new beginning. The fruit there is huge. It's big. The fruit, you have to carry it on a pole between two people. It's land flowing with milk and honey. Got everything we need. In other words, what, where, where, where God wants to take us is good. There's some good things there. But there's people that live there, and they're giants. And in their eyes, we look like grasshoppers. And to them, that's what we look like, and that's what we feel like. And so out of the 12, two, Joshua and Caleb, and Caleb speaking up, saying, look, we can do this. This is where God wants to take us. If this is where God is leading us, if this is what God wants to do with our life, then I believe that we can conquer this place. I believe that we can do it. What God has for you is greater than you think. The kind of fruit that God wants to produce in your life is greater than you think. Sometimes all you see are obstacles and giants, but really... In God, you are the giant. May we receive and take upon us the spirit of Caleb that says to rise up and conquer instead of sit down and be conquered. And I want to remind you and encourage you today of what God is saying and what he is speaking to us in this hour. Is that in our life we may see a bunch of obstacles and we may see a bunch of giants. 
But we need to remember who we are and where God is taking us and what God is wanting to do in our life. That those situations in front of us look huge and, and over, overpowering and overburdening. We need to remember that we're in front and what God, where God is taking us, there's fruit, there's good, there's opportunity, there, there's purpose in front. Doesn't mean you won't have to fight. Doesn't mean you won't have to stand. It doesn't mean you won't have to go forth and exert some energy and some spiritual effort. It just means that if you do and you take God at his word, then you can overcome. And you can rise up and be who God has called you to be. Because in Christ Jesus, in Romans 8, we're called, we are told that we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loves us. And there are some days, I get it, that we don't feel like a, a conqueror. There are some days in our life where we feel like, man, we are just being spit up and chewed out. And it's chewed up and spit out. That's the right way to say it. Chewed up and spit out because of the way we see ourselves and the way we see our opposition, our situations, our life. If we got real honest, last week I, I, I didn't ask for a show of hands, but I just asked how many out of seven days in a week, how many days do you really live content? I just happened to see a few hands go up showing me numbers, zero. Some folks actually said zero out of seven days a week. Zero days do I live content. Why? First Samuel 17. It's the last reference. David. David is saying, hey, I'll go fight this giant Goliath. Nobody else is willing to do it. I'll do it because I don't like what he's saying about us. I don't like what he's saying about our nation, about God's people. I don't like it. So he's got to go. Now let's look at what happened. David picked up five smooth stones from a stream, put them in his shepherd's bag. He was 17, right there around 17 years old. Then armed only with his shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across the valley to fight Goliath, the Philistine. Goliath walked out toward, walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him. That, that just, I don't get that. He's nine foot tall, he's a champion, he's Goliath. What the heck does he need a shield bear for? Dare I say, most bullies always have a shield bear around them because they don't have the confidence to really do what their bark says they can do. So they gotta have a little runt standing near them to try to intimidate what you're looking at, right? Anybody ever watch the Christmas story? I mean, it only is on 24 hours a day from November 25th through January 1st. Anybody seen that? Ever you seen the Christmas story? I just want to make sure I, if I say you this, that you know what I'm talking about. So they're, they're walking back and forth from school every day in the snow, and there's these two guys. They're the bullies. And they run out every day, scare them, put them in arm holds and... Uh, all this stuff, what do you call this? Uh, noogie, yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, I have girls, so I don't get to do that to them. So 
uh, if I do, if I do, they like, oh, my daddy's hurt me, and then I'm in trouble, so um, I have to do other things, so anyway, they could do that every day, and all this stuff, and finally, the main guy, what's his name? Ralph, Ralphie, right, is that his name? I don't know, is that his name? I forget, Ralphie, he gets tired of it, and he's like, I'm done. So he just pulverizes the giant, the, one of the kids, and he just, I mean, wears him out. And the other guy, his little shield bearer, freaks out, runs home and tells Ralphie's mama, hey, Ralphie's beating up this other dude who's like two foot taller and all this stuff. But th that's the picture I get when I look at this. Now, I get when you're standing in the middle of life and it's staring you down and there's some real hard situations facing you and you see all these runts around you, that I get, there's reality there, I, I understand that, I get the feeling of that. But what we have to also understand is the reality of our faith and our rightful position in Christ Jesus. And that's where David found himself. And it said uh, that that uh, giant was sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. And he said, am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? He said he cursed David by the name of his gods. And he told him, come over here. And I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled. I mean, he, he probably could have because he was a big dude. He was a giant and he was a champion. That was what he was known for. But here's what David said. You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defiled. Today the Lord will conquer you. I will kill you. I will cut off your head, and I'll give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. David's confidence was not in himself or his abilities. His faith was in the God of Israel who always rescues his people. David stood tall that day on the shoulders of his God. And today, if we will see with our heart that God rescues, and he makes you to stand tall in the midst of giant circumstances. So those are the scripture bases that I could find and I was led to to, to pull out according to that prophetic word that the Lord spoke. And it's my heart and my prayer that you'll take, the, take this word to heart. And uh, if you didn't write it down today, go back and listen on the website this week. It'll be on our website, newlifechurchofjackson.org, and you can listen to it, and you can write it down, and you can, rem and you can uh, have it before you and along with these scriptures. Because if any, more than anything, we need to remember that when we face times of silence and we face times of stillness, that does not mean God is silent and God is still. It means that that's the time where we really need to press ourselves into Him. And we need to keep doing that and keep doing that and keep doing that because soon we'll see the, the cloud the size of a man's hand and soon the wind will blow, the rain will fall and life will spring forth from our lives and our purpose will bloom and we will blossom because God is faithful. God is faithful. James.